Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Centenary Everyday Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Penninger, and I serve as the Director of Communications here at Centenary Church. Today, I have a special co-host with me, Reverend Susanna Pittman, and I'll explain more about that in just a few moments. But first of all, let me introduce to you our special guest for today. Today, we welcome Dr. Warren Kinghorn to our podcast. Dr. Kinghorn is a psychiatrist whose work centers on the role of religious communities in caring for persons with mental health problems and on ways in which Christians engage practices of modern health care. Jointly appointed within Duke Divinity School and the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences of Duke University Medical Center, he is co-director of the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative and is a staff psychiatrist at the Durham VA Medical Center. He has written on the moral and theological dimensions of combat trauma and moral injury, on the moral and political context of psychiatric diagnosis, and on the way that St. Thomas Aquinas' image of the human as wayfarer might inform contemporary practices of ministry and mental health. So we're really thrilled to welcome Dr. Kinghorn here. And Susanna is here because this evening, on the day of this recording, the Shining Light on Mental Health Ministry and Stephen Ministries here at Centenary are having a combined event where Dr. Uh, Kinghorn is speaking on our refuge and finding hope through the Psalms. So that's why she's here and she's going to help lead this conversation. She's got some great questions for Dr. Kinghorn. So Susanna, I'm going to turn it over to you and then we'll begin our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Susanna. Thank you so much, Doug. Dr. Kinghorn, we are just delighted to have you here today. And I just wanted to just begin, just to take a few moments, if you would, just to share a little bit about the work and the ministry that you do at Duke in your community. Thank you so much, Susanna. It's really an honor to be here. And I've known about Centenary and the Shining Light ministry here at Centenary for several years now. And so to be back is really an honor. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm a psychiatrist by training. work as a, as a psychiatrist at the Durham VA Hospital in Durham. I have an outpatient uh, mental health clinic there of veterans, some of whom I've treated for about 15 years now. I also have worked for many years in the emergency department of the Durham VA. I do a lot of teaching with psychiatry residents, and that's all in the medical school at Duke. Uh, but then a lot of my time as well is spent at Duke Divinity School. I'm trained as a theological ethicist as well. and teach courses there, I advise and mentor students, uh, but most of my work is at the intersection of theology and healthcare. I co-direct an initiative called the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative at the at Duke Divinity School, and we exist to bridge the world of healthcare and the world of Christian faith, especially through formation of clinicians and chaplains and those who, who really want to uh, think hard about how Christian faith and practice affects the way that the world of healthcare runs. And that's really an honor to be part of that work. Absolutely. That sounds fascinating. Um, and, and thinking, too, again, just how the application of, of the understanding of, of mental health and well-being um, and the intersection with the local church mm-hmm. um, and how we see certainly those needs and those opportunities to speak into uh, the mental health area as well um, yeah. here as a Bay community. Absolutely. I mean, I... I think a lot about uh, Ephesians where um, the writer's telling uh, Christians that it's through the church that the wisdom of God in its rich variety is made known to the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so how to, can the church be a kind of demonstration plot, a place of discipleship and witness and creativity and innovation and really and community and formation that I think healthcare systems struggle to do sometimes 
communities as a whole, especially now in our culture, struggle to do sometimes. And so what are the opportunities for churches now more than ever, I think? And I, I really believe in that. Absolutely, absolutely. I love, um, again, your, your, the sort of the intersection between how our faith and our theology speaks to where we are, what we're experiencing in our, our daily journeys, um, and sometimes in our challenges, um, and whatever that may be through difficult seasons in life, through mental health challenges, um, but our faith has something to say about it. Um, and one of the things we'll talk about a little bit uh, uh, with the program that you'll be giving uh, this evening is focused on uh, the Psalms. Yeah. Um, the Psalms have often been used or often been called as the prayer book for millennia for the people of God. Yeah. I would love to hear if you'd be willing to share your perspective on why you think it is the Psalms that have been our prayer book for so long and how they might be our prayers uh, even today. Absolutely. I do think our faith makes all the difference when it comes to thinking about mental health and mental health challenges. I think the, the deepest truth of who we are as human beings is that we are known and loved and cherished by God. And that's, I think, the first thing that Christians can affirm. Uh, the Psalms are incredible gifts to Israel and to the church and to us. Um, a lot of us go to church that have hymn books in the pews, or maybe people go to churches where the words of songs are on a, on a screen or on a wall, but uh, the Psalms are kind of like Israel's hymn book. Uh, some people have called the Psalms the songbook of the second temple of Israel, which means that when the, when the people of Israel returned from exile in Babylon, and they rebuilt the temple. The Psalms were assembled in pretty much their current form to guide Israel's prayers and to guide Israel's worship. They were meant for communal singing and chanting. And, and the Psalms are just such an incredible resource because there's 150 Psalms in the way that we count them. And they cover pretty much the full range of human emotion and life before God. They cover rage and anger and despair and grief and peace and hope and gratitude and joy and all of those emotions that we sometimes feel but aren't sure maybe are welcome in our prayers or aren't sure are welcome in church or maybe Christians shouldn't feel certain things. They're right there in the Psalms and they're given to us to pray and that's just such a gift and so how can we claim the the prayers that God has given us to pray in the Psalms. I think another thing about the Psalms is that they're not just meant to be said in church, but they're given to us for life. And, and I think about the fact that for the people of Israel in Jesus' time, for example, the Psalms would have been what children would have heard, sung, and prayed from their very earliest memories and would have been kind of deep within them, as many of us have songs that we think of from childhood or from our adolescents that are just always going to be there because they're some of the songs that formed us, the Psalms would have been that for Jesus, for example. And so on the cross, when Jesus was at his, moments to, at his moment of deepest despair and, um, and grief and, and suffering, he reached for the Psalms and he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is straight out of Psalm 22. He didn't just make that up. He, he was praying something that had been given to him to pray. He prayed one of the songs of his childhood. And of course, he knew the end of the story there where Psalm 22 ends with this testimony to God's deliverance. 
I just think it's an example of how the Psalms are just gifts to us, uh, whether or not we're currently struggling with mental health challenges, but just as ways of orienting our lives. Absolutely. It reminded me of a quotation um, from Athanasius who said, you know, whereas the rest of Scripture sort of speaks to us, uh, the Psalms speak for us. Oh, I and love that. I love just the idea of, of, again, no matter what we are experiencing, as you said, from from times of, of sorrow and grief to times of joy and gratitude and everything in between, um, the Psalms give us words uh, and help give us permission to sort of yes. feel and experience those things and offer them to God, yes. um, knowing that God's big enough uh, and God hears us um, and understands that. Yes, so. absolutely. Well, it's interesting that you say that, um, Dr. Kinghorn, about them being approached as a prayer versus just a song. Mm. Um, I've never taken that approach with it. I've never thought about that that it, yeah. use it as a prayer versus you, Suzanne and I had a conversation this summer. Um, we were we had a summer in the Psalms series that we were reading that we were doing, and some of those just aren't easy. They're, they're just not um, for for a layperson like myself to right. to grasp the concept. But understanding, um, it's probably time for me to go back and take the approach of it as a prayer mm. versus the song and. Um, Thank you for sharing that. that yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, not all the psalms are written as a direct address to God. Some of them are written more as um, songs of the community mm-hmm. or exhortations to praise God or to give thanks to God. But many are written as direct addresses to God. And uh, and those, I think, especially are ones that God directly invites us to, to pray, again, with Israel and with the church, with God's people. And many of the psalms that speak to the rawest of emotions are those that are directed directly to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's powerful to, to think about, again, just taking uh, the intensity of what we experience um, and, mm. again, to address it to God. I'd also uh, read one time talking how the psalms help us um, help us redirect our emotions. Sometimes yeah. when we have those strong emotions, we don't know quite what to do with them. Right. Um, either we kind of keep them bottled in and they just fester, or uh, perhaps we take them out in ways that are rather destructive to ourselves or to others. Um, but just the orientation of the Psalms themselves uh, re- encourage us and invite us to direct what is in our heart and, yeah. and to offer that up to God. That's right. So. One distinction that I find helpful, well, uh, one of the things that I uh, always appreciate about the Psalms is that the Psalms invite us when we're suffering into this posture of lament. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to be speaking today in a later event about uh, Psalm 13, which is one of the Psalms of lament. Uh, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? The psalmist here is suffering, is afraid of dying, is uh, feeling the absence of God, and is carrying that directly to God with the expectation that God will hear. And uh, there's a lot more to say about what lament is, but lament fundamentally is a way that when we're suffering, we can carry our suffering and carry injustice and carry those things that are not right to God with the expectation that God will hear and will redeem and will rescue and will judge, whatever it is that we need. And I think about how different lament in that way is from complaining. I mean, I like to complain, you know, I complain about my workplace, I complain about, you know, politics. I can, and complaining is something that the people of Israel 
would do as well, and sometimes it wouldn't work out very well for them when they did. And the distinction between complaining and lament is that complaining allows us to name something that's wrong, but complaining often doesn't really expect things to change. It's not really carrying anything directly to God. It's more like we we put ourselves in a position where we feel a little bit better because we've been able to name what's wrong, but it leaves us in a position of just feeling kind of like we're standing over against that situation or thing that we're complaining about. Whereas lament is carrying that directly to God, laying it before God and saying, God, you're the righteous judge. You're the one who has claimed us in covenant. Uh, You're the one who can make things right. So make things right. And it expects that justice to occur. It it, it gives us something to do with things that are not right or unjust or or places of suffering for us, where my my typical ways of complaining don't necessarily do that. They make me feel a little better for a time, but don't actually change things. You're not alone in that <laughs> whole I, idea not. of yeah. complaining or fighting, but I think you're absolutely right with that. Yeah. And with that, thinking about, again, the Psalms of Lament um, and, and throughout the Psalms, there's Psalms of Trust um, yes. or there's there's portions of the Psalms where you do feel that intensity of, of just, again, just feeling the heaviness of the world, the injustice, the pain, the grief, yes. and offering um, offering it all up to God. And we're fortunate that many of the Psalms, there's usually what uh, called the little pivot. Yes. There's usually some sort of um, but yes. and yet. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that and maybe we're in the midst of our lament and our pain because we, we probably all experience that in our daily lives. Um, yes. Where do we find that hope? Yes, so, so that's absolutely right, that the Psalms of Lament typically, but not always, end with a, st- a clear statement of hope. Uh, one exception to that is Psalm 88, which is this incredibly um, despairing psalm where the psalmist is, is, is confessing trust in God, but uh, the end of the psalm remains, um, uh, my, my companions are in darkness, or darkness is my only companion. There's this there's this um, depth of suffering. And I think the fact that Psalm 88 is in the Psalter is a gift to us as well. That things don't always have to be turned to hope. Right. Right. But most of the, of the Psalms of Lament, even the ones that cry with such anguish, and Psalm 13 is a good example, end with um, a, an affirmation of God's faithfulness. And, and Psalm 13 is such a great example of this. It's a six-verse psalm. It's very short. Uh, the psalmist has gone through a series of complaints that if God doesn't uh, rescue, then uh, the psalmist is going to die. The, the psalmist's enemies are going to say, I've prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I'm shaken. The psalmist is carrying this to God. It's important to note that in Psalm 13 and in many other of the Psalms of Lament, deliverance doesn't show up in the prayer itself. It's not like the psalmist says, oh, and now I suddenly have been rescued. Sometimes that happens, but not here. But what the psalmist does is the psalmist says, but, there's the but, I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And I love this because the psalmist is focused in the present. You know, how long will you forget me forever? The psalmist is thinking about the psalmist's own suffering. But in this moment, all of a sudden, the tenses change. The psalmist looks to the past. Uh, I trusted in your steadfast love. And you can imagine here the psalmist remembering God's 
redemption of Israel from Egypt and the way that God has provided for the people of Israel, for the covenant people. And that memory of God's faithfulness, maybe to the psalmist individually, at least to the psalmist people, gives the possibility of hope for the future. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. So I love how claiming the past, claiming faithfulness in the past, gives us a way of hoping for the future, even when the deliverance isn't with us in the present, because God's a faithful God who redeems and who is faithful and who doesn't forget and who provides. I appreciate so much you're lifting that up because I, I can only speak from my own personal experience, but often in those seasons of pain and difficulty and challenge, yeah. I, I feel the psalmist, how long, O oh Lord? It feels yeah. as if it's going on forever and ever, wondering where is God in this? And that, like you said, that invitation, or not invitation, but that, that observation that the deliverance doesn't happen right away, that there isn't right. some sort of instant fix and everything's okay, that sometimes there, there is that time, there's that waiting. Um, yeah, and even when days. there's not an instant fix, God is still active, right. God's still listening, God still invites us to pray how long. Right. That's where a lot of Christians, I think, get kind of um, caught up because we think, well, if we pray for something and there's not an immediate deliverance, then either it's unfaithful to continue to pray, how long, O Lord, or we're being presumptuous, or maybe God's not really there, maybe we just need to adjust to things. But the, psalm, the Psalms teach us to continue to approach God in that way, that God invites that. That is the prayer of faith. It's not like we lack faith if we pray that. That is faith to pray that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that then, um, and thinking about that, that hope, um, that, that hanging on, that holding on to the hope, um, and knowing that God is with us even in the midst of, of the waiting and the crying, how long, O oh Lord, what are some of the ways that you sort of hold on to that hope and experience that hope? on a, a daily rhythm and basis, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. are, there, are there any sort of um, practical ways that we can continue to live as people of hope, even when we're in seasons of, of, yeah. of challenge or lament? Hope is so important. I want to step back from the Psalms for a minute to think about what hope is not, because mm. we use the word hope in lots of different ways in our culture and in our language. And I think some but not all of those ways to get it, the depth of, of a Christian understanding of hope. I'd say hope is not primarily belief. Hope may entail belief, but you know one can believe that um, God is good. And, and still there's that sense of like, what does it mean to really hope in that? Um, hope is not primarily an emotion. And I think sometimes when we are depressed or anxious or uh, struggling. We sometimes feel that because we can't conjure an emotion that we associate with hope, that therefore we don't have hope. And, and that's not what scripture teaches to us. Um, I think also hope is not wishing. So I wish for a lot of things. Like I wish that hurricanes didn't exist. And I wish that, you know, Duke would win the national championship in basketball <laughs> every year. But, you know, I can wish for things, but that's different from hoping that they really will happen. And, and, it, and it just means that I would like for something to be true. But that's different from, I think, what Scripture teaches us about hope. Um, hope is not positive thinking, as if, like, if we just think positively, then something will happen. There's a deep American tradition of that, including American Christians, but that's not biblical hope. And I think related to that, hope is not optimism. It's not just a kind of disposition to think that things are going to turn out well. Hope is deeper than all of those things. 
and I think the Psalms teach us that hope is deeper than all those things. The, uh, the uh, uh, writer and poet and civil rights attorney and leader and Episcopal priest Polly Murray, who was uh, raised here in North Carolina, has a poem called Dark Testament that's this deeply um, evocative poem about the black American experience from this, uh, the time of the slave trade in the Middle Passage to the present. And, and in that context, she uh, says her famous quotation that hope is a song in a weary throat. And I love that because in the context of Murray's poem and her life, if you know about her, her, her life, um, hope what is not something that's immediately seen in the present. It's not because things are all of a sudden good, but uh, that, that God gives hope because God is faithful, even when there seems to be in the present no immediate reason for that hope. It's, it's, it's based on God's faithfulness. It's something that God gives. It, it's something that, that is God's gift to us. And so biblical hope is, is, is I think, something that, that God gives that's a capacity to rest ourselves, to rest our lives in a good future that God alone can bring about because God is faithful and God will do it. And, and so there's that way in which hope goes beyond really what we feel, even sometimes beyond what we think. It, it's a capacity to, uh, to trust in a future that may not be present to us right now, but is coming because God is good and God is faithful. And that's a gift of God. And, and I think the thing I'd want to say to anyone who's listening is if, if that's hard to conjure, if it's hard to feel that, that's okay. It's not something that we do ourselves. It's something that we do by, um, by um, simply being present before God and letting God do that work in us and in our communities and through others. Because I think hope is something that's mediated in community and through others and not always something that we ourselves feel. Is something that we do for each other, and it's a way that we carry each other. And that's what the Psalms, I think, teach us in the deepest way about hope. Absolutely. And I appreciate your saying that. And, and thank you. And I had heard um, a, a quotation from, from someone saying, you know, we, we as a community gather together and we carry one another's hope. That yes. in those yeah. seasons where, again, we, we wonder, where is God? Or I, I think you're absolutely right. How many times have I used hope as... Uh, wishy-washy or sort of this yeah. I really don't think it's gonna happen but you know I hope it works out sort of thing um, yeah. and and so we you know just that that um, the hope that I think we carry for one another is that assurance that promise um, that that God is with us and that we come together and help journey with one another um, to carry that and the Psalms is as you talked about is as that worship the hymn book I mean what a how powerful that is to know is that the people of God coming together and proclaiming the, these words, these emotions, um, openly as a community, uh, yeah. crying out to God, uh, lament, trust, joy, everything in between, um, but just knowing we're journeying together. We don't journey alone. Absolutely. And I would just re- just echo everything that you said. And as I, when we talk about hoping for somebody, like I'll, you know, I'll say, like, I hope that something happens, or I hope that you get that promotion, or I hope that you get into the school that you apply to. And again, that's more like wishing. I think a deeper sense of Christian hope, when we talk about hoping for somebody, it's, I'm going to, we, we as a community, at a time when you, for whatever reason, whether it's major depression, or whether it's a trauma, or whether it's a grief and loss, 
whatever that is, at a time when you yourself are not able to feel hope or to conjure hope or to experience hope, our hoping for you means that we're going to do the work of hoping for you for a while. You don't have to do it. It's not your work to do right now. We're going to carry you in hope. And I believe strongly that that's something, that's why one reason that the church is so deeply important, because uh, a church can carry its members in hope at a time when we're not able, for whatever reason, to, to feel that hope for ourselves. Absolutely. And even among the community, to know it's not the community willpower that conjures that no, hope. It's right. that we all rest that's right. in Christ and knowing that it's the work of the Spirit, the grace that, that supports and sustains us all. That's right. Oh. The community itself has someone to carry it in hope, which is God. It also has things like the Psalms to carry it in hope. And I think, you know, we don't just make up church as we go. Like we have this tradition, including and especially scripture and the Psalms to help guide us and carry us in that way. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if we, if we lose hope or someone's not carrying us in hope, then what do you have? The, um, you know, for me, hope is, I translate hope and for my experience, it more of a, my faith is this, that this is going to happen. I have faith, this, this X, Y, and Z, whatever. But if we lose our hope, then what's the point? If, if we're wanting to live in a better world, if we're wanting to have a better society, we want, we want everyone to have everything they need or what, whatever have you, whatever example you want to come up with, without hope, what darkness would there be? And it would just, you would never live in light. And, um, at least that's, that's what my brain tells me. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, we just don't, the way you have defined the different uh, things of hope, uh, the wishing, the wanting, things like that. Fascinating um, that I know that, you know, we, we here at the church working, we have great hope that, yes, the seats will be filled every Sunday. We have great hope that we can feed all of the neighbors that need us. Um, we, have, we have the great hope that we will have the funding to do the ministry that we're called to do. And with, if we didn't have that, we would just be spinning our wheels. And I, the, the hope is such an important part of, at least my, everyone, my daily life, I know yours and Susanna's, it's just, it's just part of the existence. So, Yeah, I would say that hope is, hope is important. I would, we can lose the feeling of hope, the experience of hope. Right. But I believe that Christians can never lose the, the ground of hope, which is God's goodness. It's, right. not, it's not our own ability to do any of these good things that you mentioned. It's the fact that God is good and that even when we're incapable, God is capable and is capable of carrying us even when we can't experience yes. Or, yes. Or, or feel that. And so in that respect, I, I would want to always just say that hope is not a matter of what we can feel at any time, but it's, it's, it's a truth that in some ways is outside of us, but yet in which we can rest on when we can't feel it. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So thinking about that um, and the idea of hope, are there any practices that you find um, either personally or as you've seen uh, in your ministry or just in uh, the community of faith um, that have really helped cultivate uh, a sense of hope um, and to live as uh, a people of hope. I know that is the essence of our faith. Um, I'm wondering what that may look like as we're going about our, our daily tasks and responsibilities and our interactions. How can we help um, cultivate and, and 
instill hope, knowing that, that again, it is, is certainly the work of the Spirit with us, empowering us, but I guess opening our hearts to receive um, that hope. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I would say about hope is that, as we've been talking about, just to, just to repeat, hope is something that's done in community. Mm-hmm. It's something that's sustained in relationships. It's not something that we can do ourselves alone, you know, without God and without others. And so I think the first practice would be in whatever way is healthy and possible to build and sustain healthy social connections that can allow us both to do the work of hoping for others when they need it and allow others to do the work of hoping for us when we need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The moment of a mental health crisis or um, a major depression is a hard moment to begin building social connections and networks. It's, it's, It's great to start if that's not there, but it's best if possible to have kind of community of people that we can call on when things are hard and when things get hard. And so I think my first sense of a practice would be just to practice leaning into community. And and that's going to look different for different people. It's going to have different possibilities for different people. But I think the community of the church is really important. And not just showing up on a Sunday morning, but what does it mean to be known by others? Like Who are the people that you would call if you needed something at 2 in the morning or at 10 at night, or when your child is in crisis, or when you're in crisis. And uh, if the answer to that is nobody, which it is for a lot of people, like what would it mean to begin to, to, to be available to others and to find connection with others? And that's, that's not something that's easy, but it is something that's important. I think also, um, certainly part of that relationship building uh, is, I think, I'm a psychiatrist. I really believe in therapy and in mental health treatment and counseling. And so I think if people are finding it hard to hope or certainly are facing mental health challenges, if you're, if you're wondering if like maybe now's the time when I should seek a therapist, it probably is. It's probably exactly the time to do that if you're wondering about it. And, and again, I think because hope is something that's sustained in relationship, that can be a relationship with a good therapist or a psychiatrist or a counselor. Uh, somebody who has experience and can help through that. I think taking good care of the body is really important. So our bodies are good creatures of God, and God loves our bodies and us in our bodies. And so what does it mean to uh, treat our bodies with respect, whether that's how we, you know, whether we're sleeping and what we're eating and what we're doing with our bodies. And I think that uh, can help us, I think, to be in a posture where we can begin to see uh, beauty that's around us. I think other, another couple of things would be um, hope, I think, is linked to, to gratitude, which is the capacity to see the world as a kind of gift and life as a kind of gift. And, of course, that isn't something that only happens with Christians, but Christians are, I think, ideally positioned to, to practice a kind of gratitude since we believe that our very breath is a gift of God. And so what does it mean to uh, actually think about ways that, those for whom we're grateful or things for which we're grateful and building those kinds of practices can be really helpful. And then I think we started the conversation by talking about the Psalms. And I do believe as a Christian that scripture is the word of God and has life for us and leaning into scripture and maybe especially leaning into the Psalms uh, 
not only when, th when times are hard, but when they're not, gives us the words to pray and the emotions to feel and the ways to shape our experience when things are hard. I, I love uh, the book, The Noonday Demon by Andrew Solomon, where he talks about depression. And Solomon writes about his own depression, uh, and he uh, quotes a friend of his who he describes as a, an Episcopalian, a faithful Episcopalian who became depressed. And this friend said to him at one point, um, when I was depressed, it was like my skeleton had melted away. Mm -hmm. I had no endoskeleton. But the prayers of the church were for a time my exoskeleton, holding me in form and in shape until my endoskeleton could reconstitute. And I've never forgotten that image because I do believe that the prayers of the church and the support of the church and the psalms and the liturgy can serve as a kind of exoskeleton for us when we feel like we have no, literally no bones within us. I mean, Scripture talks about this, like my bones have melted away. And yet we have these prayers and these ways of praying that are given to us when we can't even muster the energy to do so. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And just that that very powerful reminder and I don't mean to like reduce everything to it but just you do not journey alone is that right. we all um you know thinking about coming together as the body of Christ and the community that we have I know as our, our congregational care ministries we have um team members of Shining Light on Mental Health. We have Stephen Ministers and just so many people who who really embody that. You do not yes. journey alone. We are here to help and to resource. Our pastors are here. Um, but, but even taking that step bit broader is, again, the work of the Psalms is reminding us, again, that we these words have been said for millennia and, yeah. you know, that there's something in power of knowing countless people have prayed these words and offered these words and yeah. finding our story sort of within that story, um, but also knowing um, just as they were open and vulnerable and honest as a community, that's our call too, is that yeah. we can um, we we can share our stories uh, with that honesty with one another. And then taking it even further and even <laughs> grander is we do not journey alone because we are God's beloved children who has promised never to forsake us, that nothing we experience, even when we don't feel, as you said, that God is there, God is yeah. there. That is that certain hope um, yeah. that we're not alone in that. I think a lot of times Christians kind of think of God as this like very powerful corporate executive or something at a place where we're trying to work that we're trying to like appear well before and perform well for and we hope that God will approve of our performance so that we'll get a raise or something like that and and I think you know church is often uh, people are often just like they want to appear certain ways and dress certain ways and show up in certain ways and and um, you know think that that's what life before God is and and I mean the very word Israel is one who struggles with God. The Psalms are testimonies of struggle. And so if if the experience of struggle doesn't show up in church, then we're doing something wrong. We're, we're missing something deep about the truth of the gospel. Absolutely. And it's sometimes hard, I mean, you know, in our church circles to really embrace that because we're afraid of being shamed or of appearing like we don't have things together. But the truth of us, the truth of things are is that none of us have things together before God. And None of us really have things together for ourselves all the time. 
and God invites us to be honest about that. Absolutely. And and when we are, there's grace there. There's yeah. mercy there. There's a love Absolutely. that we can't even fathom um, that is Absolutely. just relentless. Um, and so we, we know that that as we offer up those things that are so painful and difficult to 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 offer and to even give voice in our own hearts to know that uh, the God who hears is a God who uh, just showers us with love, mercy, grace, yeah. and strength to get through. Um, yeah. I have a colleague, Brett McCarty, who does work related to the opioid crisis in Southern Appalachia. And he'll talk about how there's sometimes this distinction between like the 11 o'clock service in a church with a nice sanctuary and then the, you know, Thursday or Friday evening recovery service in the basement downstairs, that sometimes the experience of grace, like the capacity to speak honestly to God, is a lot more powerfully present at the recovery service yeah. than in the 11 o'clock service upstairs with the organ and everything else. And uh, so maybe, maybe people who know what it's like to be out of control and to need God or others and who've um, in some ways met really difficult challenge have a lot to teach us about like what God's love is like and what God's grace is like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As, we're, as we're sitting here talking about it, the, the concept of grace is a, it's not only given to you, but you give it away. And yeah. a lot of people just don't the concept of that, because I don't know if I'm going to phrase this incorrectly, I'm sure. Um, when we say, well, I'm just trying to get through life, could you just ex- <laughs> give me a break? Um, and someone extends to you that grace to say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay that you messed up. Just mm-hmm. learn from it and move forward. And we're here to help you, like you said, and in community. Um, it's a concept that's just, I think, so foreign for so many people. Um, you're talking about um, the relationship with God and how you um, communicate. It's, this is going to sound so pedestrian when I say this. So, and I know this book is a, is a work of fiction, um, but when the book, um, the, the character in the book, they refer to God as Papa. And I just love that illustration of, oh, just a dad dad and just to be able to say just to be able to sit back and say you know god what is going on today and just it's a convert for me for me prayer is a conversation it's not a it's not a i i am not theologically trained i'm just a, a person and for me talking with god is it's just like we're talking here today and saying you know illuminate to me what this is or to show me the way or things like that and my approach um really is that it's papa and it's it's um just walking with me down the street in the mornings when I'm doing my walk. It's, what's that conversation like? Um, I'm not really sure where I'm going with all of this, except yeah. to say that the, the concept of grace is, is a, it's a beautiful thing when we can grasp what that really is. And that grace does lead us back to hope for me. And um, that's... Well, you're, and I don't think that's pedestrian, though, because, you know, Jesus himself talked about Abba. You know, he, he yeah. taught, referred to God as, as that sort of intimate 
naming of God. And I think there's, in our Methodist tradition, I think about we had the class meetings. Um, mm-hmm. And then you could, these are about a group of 12 people or, or a bit larger, but um, would, would meet. Um, and the question was essentially, how goes it with your soul? And mm-hmm. every week sharing that which was on your soul, which sounds... I mean, I'll be honest, that sounds scary to me at times yeah. to, to be that vulnerable and to be honest, but it was a gift to be able to share, to know that you were held in a community of love and of grace and to know that as you shared really what was going on in your soul, that you were being received by people who uh, were, were, were sharing with you the love of Christ um, and that knowing again that, that we have a God who is, is merciful. Um, and even beyond the class meetings, you could participate in a band meeting, which yeah. every week was even smaller, about five people, and they would confess their sins, which sounds, again, petrifying, I think, in this day and age. But uh, those who, who participated talk about uh, the gift it is to share what is on your heart and to receive the pardon mm. every time to know that you know if you confess your sins god is merciful god loves you god forgives and just to that act of being vulnerable of being honest of sharing what's on your heart and being received um, with god's gracious love is that's our truth and our reality uh, for the christian faith we we have a journey into practicing right, that and right. living it out. It's not always um, practiced that way, but but that is what we're called to do. Um, Absolutely. I learned as a psychiatrist in doing family therapy that every relationship, especially every like, marriage or intimate relationship, is going to have mistakes and ruptures and disagreements, um, but that the strongest marriages uh, the, the predictor of marriages that are the strongest and healthiest is not whether ruptures happen because they're going to happen, but it's how successful repairs happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That, and I certainly <laughs> have experienced that in my own marriage plenty of times. And so how to think about the strength of a relationship is what does it mean to have a capacity for healthy repair after a rupture happens? And of course, there's differences between God's relationship with us and our relationships with each other as created human beings. But I think the the one of one aspect of God's grace is that um, when, for various reasons, um, we find ourselves in a place of rupture with God, God is pursuing us and seeking a kind of repair of that relationship, and and the and and our ability to lean into God's initiative toward us leaning in for that repair is I think what leads us deeper and deeper into the life of God Absolutely. and when it comes to to this idea of Abba you know Galatians 4 and Romans 8 I mean the image here is that we are folded by the spirit in the very life of Jesus so that we then address the father as the son does it's this deeply intimate um image of being held by the Spirit in the life of Jesus. And if that's where we are, that's our fundamental position before God, we can never be completely alone. I want to thank you for being here today. Um, We've been going, I I could carry this, I could listen for another three hours, easy. (laughs) And I know I've not said much in the sessions, I'm like, 
this is just just listening is just amazing for me. Um, before we before we call it on this episode, any last words you want to share with our audience um, before we wrap up today? I just appreciate being here with you all. I, I appreciate that a church cares enough about questions of mental health to um, to invest in time and programs and opportunities for people to convene. I think having conversations is really the first step toward um, being able to have people know that when they're in crisis that they're not alone. And so I'm just really grateful to you all. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Thank you. It's uh, this um, The congregational care ministry here at our church is, is a big one. Um, and when the Shining Light uh, mental, on Mental Health ministry started, who knew where mental health would be? And this was just a few years ago when it started, but where it is today, yeah. how far the, um, the stigma of it has been broken um, that yeah. we see with professional athletes. And, mm-hmm. um, and to know that we have this ministry here is uh, such an important thing. Um, saying that to say this, if you are a listener and you – you have a, a mental health need or a congregational care need, the resources at our church are open to you. And um, you can go to our website at www.centenary-ws.org and look up our congregational care ministry. And you can find resources and tools to help you get started. Um, there is a national uh, suicide prevention line now. Um, I believe it's 811. I knew I'd get that one wrong. 988. So if you are in a position of, of having that type of crisis, 988 is there for you. Um, reach out as you need to. Dr. Kinghorn, thank you for being here today. Um, what an honor. I hope you'll come back. I really do. So we'll, we'll find a reason, and hopefully you can be here with us. So. Thanks to both of you. It's really an honor. Sure thank thing. you. And I want to thank uh, Reverend Susanna Pittman for being a great co-host today. Um, she pleasure. did her homework on this yes. one. So um, thanks for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again for another episode of the Centenary Everyday Podcast. Have a great week. Thank you.